We're in a season at church here. It's kind of an old-fashioned word. <clears throat> we don't use that much called Easter tide. <clears throat> but the point of it is, what is it like to live with the risen Christ with us? So it's 50 days of resurrection until Pentecost, <clears throat> and that song captured it. Our risen Christ is more wonderful, more amazing than we can imagine. And our goal is just to keep the praise and the worship of Easter alive. Because when we do that, we wanna live with Jesus. We wanna follow, we wanna be disciples, which means students. We want to be apprentices to learn to live his way. And so that's what this season is all about. And the question is, how do we do that and what gets in our way? And I submit to you what gets in our way is the hurry, the busyness, the distractions all around us. So what we're gonna be looking at in May each week, there's a wonderful book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a man named John Mark Comer. Wonderful book, he is a pastor. He tells his life story and to be honest with you, I read this, he's preaching to me more than anybody else. It's full of wisdom. It's a great resource. If I had a wish, I would wish that every member of our church would read this book during May. It's that good. It's a classic that you need to have in your library. So if you'd like to buy a copy, there are copies in our bookstore. You can get it online, but a really wonderful book that was printed, uh, published in 2019. Now, to be honest with you, Pastor Sam told me about it and I bought the book but it was in a stack of books for me to read that I was too much of a hurry to read. So when we talked about this sermon series, I thought, well, I've never heard of that. I don't have that book. So I bought another one, realized I have it. It's at the bottom of my stack. And so I was too much of a hurry to read a book that would help me not hurry. So it's a great book. And I lift that to us just to say that I wanna be real honest. This is a struggle of mine. It has been my whole life. My mother always worked on me because I live in my head to try to get me to relax and to slow down and to smell the roses in life. Y'all know I love the old Andy Griffith show. Part of the reason is there's something about the pace of Mayberry that I long for and my soul wants, know it's important and it's not natural to me. I wanna get to Mayberry when how I live battles against that. In fact, as we were thinking about the topic for today, I was realizing I have had a crazy couple of months of life. It's been really busy. We're trying to give a new expression of Methodism. I've been working with other churches and other pastors and dreaming about the future, and it's been really crazy busy. Uh, Wednesday, we had down, were down, Pastor Todd and I talking to a church in Austin. We were driving back and I said, Todd, man, our schedule has been crazy. Literally, it's like a jigsaw puzzle trying to get everything fit in to do all the things we want to do. And as we were talking, we realized it hadn't just been the last couple of months for our pastors. Ever since COVID happened, we've had three years of crazy, a lot of pressure, a lot of trying to figure things out. And it has just been a very busy, crazy, hurried time. And I'll be honest with you, I don't do well with that. When I'm in a hurry and I'm not paying attention and I'm distracted, I don't follow Jesus the way I ought to. And I wanna do better. So this book is convicting me and it may be only me that needs to hear, but I'm haunted by the words of Pastor John Ortberg. He said something that really gets to me. Remember what he said? He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, 
It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. The risen Christ calls us to more. Doesn't have to be that way. So it seems to me all of us have marching orders. If we're going to live for and with Jesus, three things that we need to do that need to be our business. Number one, we need to be with Jesus. Number two, we need to become like Jesus. And number three, we need to do what Jesus would do if he were you and me. So that's what we're thinking about in May, how to do that. So each week we will take a different part of Jesus' spirituality and see what we can learn. And today we're going to be looking at his life and lifting up, I think, the key to his power and wisdom and strength and insight, two words, the way he practices silence and solitude. And to be honest with you, of all the sermons in these series, I do this the very worst. I'm not good at either of those things. So I'm just invite you to come into my struggles because I think there's something important for us to learn If we're going to eliminate hurry from our lives and live with Jesus, I think we're gonna need to really capture those two words, silence and solitude. So as we think about that, two things I want us to learn. And the first is this, we need to learn from the pattern of Jesus' life. Look back at how he lived. Remember when he began his ministry, what happened? He was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And as soon as he was baptized, the Holy Spirit speaks and God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And a dove rises up to heaven and everyone is amazed. And what does Jesus do immediately? He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days of silence and solitude. He goes out to be alone to figure out what his ministry is gonna look like. So he spends that time alone. And you know, as we read the scriptures, as he's alone, he's tempted by the devil. He is reassured by God, but he has a firm picture about what the course direction of his ministry is going to be. So he finishes that wonderful time in the wilderness and he comes and he begins his ministry and we're gonna get a picture of his very first day of ministry. After all of that time, after that beginning, this is his first day and we're gonna read it in our scripture for today. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Mark chapter one. We're going to read verses 32 through 35 and read about Jesus' first day of ministry. Hear the word of the Lord. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Okay, notice the first day. People are gathering, he's preaching, he's healing, he's casting out demons, dramatic things are happening. He finishes day one, and then we get a picture of day two. Now can you imagine, 40 days in the wilderness, he was exhausted, he was tired, he was starving, this busy, crazy day with all kinds of things happening, He goes to sleep and he wakes up on day two. Now, what do we expect to happen? He has to be so tired. So we think on day two, Jesus would probably sleep in a little bit, 
catch some extra rest. Or he would think, gosh, these people are all excited. They're interested. They're listening. I need to get the disciples together. We need to come up with a plan. How do we maximize our ministry opportunities? We need to form a committee. How do we seize the moment? Or we think Jesus had to be so hungry 40 days of not eating, and it probably caught up with him on this second day. He had to be thinking, I'm starving. Maybe he would go to Peter's mother-in-law and say, why don't you whip us up some brunch? We're gonna eat and we're gonna fellowship. We're gonna celebrate what God is doing in our midst. That's what we think because that's what we would do. None of those. What does Jesus do? 40 days, 40 nights alone in the wilderness praying, One day of work, look at the second day, verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. He'd been doing that for 40 days, one day of work. Back he goes, because that's the place of his strength and his power and his insight and his wisdom. And it's not just there. Throughout his ministry, we read the pattern. He will minister and be busy, and then he'll get away to pray. And sometimes when he gets away to pray, the crowds will follow him, and he'll stop and he'll minister. But as soon as he can, he goes away to the deserted place to pray and be with God. Even in the last week of his life, we're not far removed from celebrating Easter. Remember, he comes to Jerusalem, and he's teaching during the day. There are trick questions. He is trying to handle all the 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 uproar all around him. What does he do at night? He slips out of Jerusalem and goes to the garden and he prays because it's that place that he finds his power and his wisdom and his insight. You and I need to learn the same thing. We're going to live like Jesus and with Jesus, we need to learn the power of silence and solitude. It needs to become our strength So I want us to think about that for a minute. Let's think about those two words. And the first word is silence. And we need to know there are two parts of silence. One is outer silence and inner silence. Outer silence is pretty easy. We know how to do that. We know what that means. Now we don't wanna do it. We probably don't do it very often, but it's real clear what it is. Outer silence means to turn off the noise, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, close the laptop, Put away our phones, put away our tablets, and go find a quiet place. We know how to do that. It's accessible to us all. Now, we don't want to, and we don't use it enough, but it's possible. The challenge for us is that inner silence, those voices within us that keep moving, that help us from being still and calm and listening to God. It's that inner silence that I struggle with and got a beautiful picture of this last night. It was about eight o'clock at night and in a pastor's house, Saturday, we're pretty rigid about preaching and I have a very set routine. And at eight o'clock, the power went off in our neighborhood. And so just messed up my Saturday night routine. And I started getting really upset. Now we had outer quiet. There was nothing on, it was dark. 
All we had was a candle. So we had outer quiet, but I didn't have inner quiet because my voice was thinking, what if this power stays off all night? I can't sleep without my CPAP machine. It's gonna get hot in here. I'm gonna be burning up. And what happens if it's off in the morning? I'm thinking I won't be able to get the garage door open and I won't be able to see to get dressed. I won't be able to shave. I won't match. How am I gonna get to church? How am I gonna learn this sermon? I was just having a meltdown. So you know what I do when I have a meltdown? I call Pastor Judy. And I said, Judy, our power's out. And let me tell you all the things I'm worried about. And she listened to me and she was so wise. She has some very wise counsel. She listened to what I was saying. And then she said, can I pray for you? And she prayed the most beautiful prayer. And I hung up the phone and I said, okay, I need to calm down. The Lord has got this brain be still. Stop all these voices in me. And I went and lay down and Debbie was gonna work on trying to help me be still. Five minutes later, the power came on and back at it we were. But it's those inner voices that we struggle with. And I love how our author put it. Mr. Comer describes them beautifully. He said, it's that mental chatter that just never stops. The running commentary in our heads on everything. The replaying of a lousy conversation with a friend over and over again our imagining of the way that we want things to be, our worry, the chipping away of our joy and peace with the hammer of what if, the obsessing over hypothetical scenarios, role playing the future, catastrophic thinking, idealizing, dreaming of the perfect life, which in turn poisons our actual life. Am I the only one that does this? But when we do, what happens is the voices that we hear, the noise, is in our mind. How do we silence our mind? I share with you, this has been a lifetime struggle. And my mother always worked with me, helping me to do that, helped me calm down, relax, deal with obsessive thinking. And for the first 25 years of my ministry, at least twice a year, I would go back to North Louisiana to hang out with my mother because she would make me laugh. She would make me relax. I would remember my roots. I would remember my call. I would just reframe life by hanging out with my mother. I hate to confess, I was a mama's boy who adored my mama, and she's been gone to heaven for 11 years. I miss her intensely. But I was thinking back to a day etched in my mind. It was after Christmas one year, and Christmas is crazy around here with all the services. And I was uptight, and we went back to Louisiana. I didn't get any sleep for Christmas Day. It was the day after, and I was just... mm, mentally stressed, just all tied up in knots. And I remember waking up and thinking, you know, I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to read. I don't want to watch TV. Coach, I didn't even watch a football game. I was just in a bad spot. So I thought the only thing that I know to do, I went next door to my mom where my grandmother lived. And I got my grandmother to come out and we sat in a gazebo in mama's backyard. And we just sat there. And nobody said a word. It was a beautiful, warm December day. And the wind was blowing and mama was raking leaves and burning those leaves. And I sat there, nobody said a word. Just sat there for quite a while. And I remember I looked down at my watch and saw what time it was. And I realized I'm not late for anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have a schedule. I don't have a meeting to go to. I don't have anything I'm in charge of. All I have to do is sit here and breathe and be 
And all of a sudden, this amazing, overwhelming spirit hit me, and I came alive to that moment. And I realized the uniqueness and beauty of that moment. I remember it to this day, the beautiful sound of the leaves rustling in the wind and and, and the, the smell of leaves burning. I love that smell of leaves burning, sitting there with two people that I loved and adored. And then it hit me when we could still our minds. It's the place that we can hear God. And when that happens, our hearts overflow with gratitude. So often we miss the resurrection, life, because there's too much going on up here. We don't know how to find inner silence. So that's the first thing we learn from Jesus. But the second is that word solitude. You notice how often he would go off by himself to pray. Jesus loved to spend a whole lot of time by himself. Now, to be honest with you, when I went into ministry, they give us all kind of personality tests. I've taken the Myers-Briggs so many times and always I tested as an introvert. So I just assumed I'm an introvert. And then Pastor Todd came on staff and we started working together. Todd was an introvert, but we're also really different. And I kept thinking, we're both introverts, but why are we so different? Because Todd needs time alone. He needs to go be by himself. He needs to gather his thoughts. And if he doesn't get enough time alone, he can get really grumpy. Now, you would not think that about our beloved Pastor Todd, but he really could be. And then I started thinking about that. I'm an introvert, but I don't ever want to be alone. I can't stand to be alone. I'm anxious when I'm alone. I don't ever want to be by myself. And I thought, well, we're both introverts. How could we be so different? And I was trying to sort that out until we met with a counselor and we took another personality test and this guy came back and said, you're not an introvert at all. You are a highly, intensely shy extrovert. In fact, you're very, very extroverted. And Pastor Todd is a very charismatic introvert. So people read us just the opposite. They think he's the extrovert and I'm the introvert and it's not true. This matters when it comes to solitude. It's interesting, how many of our pastors are introverts? Pastors, how many introverts? Raise your hand. <clears throat> the vast majority of pastors are introverts. In seminary, the same thing. 70 to 75% of pastors are introverts. Introverts love solitude. They read this passage and see Jesus and said, yes, we need more of that in our lives. Their souls are fed in those kind of places. In fact, for our introverts, they wish there had been an 11th commandment. They wish the Lord had said, thou shalt spend six hours alone every day. That would make them happy. For those of us that are extroverts, we do, Sean and I, we don't like that. We hear the word solitude and we squirm, we wiggle, we don't like it because we don't want to be alone, because we don't want to be lonely. But we've missed what solitude really is. In fact, it's just the opposite of being lonely. Solitude is to go away and spend time with God and with our own souls. And if we'll spend that quality time with God in our own souls, what we will discover is we will be more connected and love each other in a more profound way. We will see the world differently. In fact, I love what the late Henry Nouwen said about solitude. He said something very important. He said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God 
and listen to him. Look at Jesus. Look at the rhythms, the patterns of his life. Silence and solitude were the core of his power source of his connection with God. Which leads us to the second thing. And here's the ouch of the sermon. That is our response to Jesus' life and teaching if we're going to live with him. And actually our author said something really interesting. He said, when we look at Jesus' life, when we look at how he treated silence and solitude, we only have two options before us. And we have to make a decision which option we're gonna choose, option A or option B. Look at option A. We neglect the practice of silence and solitude. We make excuses. We get sucked into the rat race and we face emotional unhealth at best and spiritual oblivion at worst. And here's option B. We recapture this ancient practice of silence and solitude and experience the life of Jesus. I wanna urge us to choose option B. But how do we do that? I'm gonna make some very quick suggestions. One is we begin where we are. In our life, in our context, and they're all different, we need a physical quiet place that we can identify. It's gonna be different for all of us. Our quiet place may be on a back porch or in a backyard. That's where it is for me. I like being outside in nature. Maybe it's a reading nook in the house. Maybe it's the kitchen table. Wherever it may be, we need a quiet place we can identify where we go away with Jesus. Just spend some time with him. And then secondly, we need to be honest. We're wired differently. We have different personalities. We are introverts and extroverts. We approach life so differently. Some of us are a little high strung. Some of us have short attention spans. In our quiet time, we may only be able to do that for five minutes. But if that's the case, don't feel guilty, don't feel bad. God knows who we are. God knows that if we're trying to please him, that does please him. So don't measure ourselves to somebody else. Don't think we're not spiritual enough if, if somebody does it longer than us. God knows us. He's gotta work with who we are. Be honest about that. And then we need to all practice slowing down in our life. We need to slow down in every part of life. We need to, to breathe. We need to be. And we need to live in the present. How often do we get kind of trapped there in the past or we're dreaming about the future? It's in the present that we experience God profoundly, which is why Jesus tried to get away and be with God. And then the final thing, we need to still our minds because we live in a world with a lot of noise and a lot of own and a lot of problems and a lot of challenges, a lot of things that worry us. We turn on the news and we get upset. We're going to have to still this chatter, this clutter in our minds because it's in that quiet place of stillness that we can hear God, that we can understand how much he loves us and we can find our place in his plan. I love the way Mr. Comer ends this chapter. He gives us a real practical look at what us in our lives finding silence and solitude would look like. And so I wanna end with his words. Listen to what he said. <clears throat> he said, here's to tomorrow morning, six o'clock, coffee, the chair by the window, the window by the tree, time to breathe, 
a psalm and a story from the Gospels, hearing the Father's voice, pouring out my own, or just sitting, resting. Maybe I'll hear a word from God that will alter my destiny. Maybe I'll just process my anger over something that's bothering me. Maybe I'll just feel my mind settle like untouched water. Maybe my mind will ricochet from thought to thought and never come to rest. If so, that's fine. I'll be back same time tomorrow, starting my day in the quiet place. Remember how Jesus spent that second day of ministry? In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. My friends, that's how Jesus lived. How will we live? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your wonderful example. Not only the great things you taught us, but the great way that you showed us to live And during this season of resurrection, we know that you're alive and you are with us and you want us to draw strength from you. So Lord, come to us and speak to us and remind us that we are not in charge, we are not in control. And when we learn to rest in you, when we come to that quiet place, we will find the secret of your power and your insight and your wisdom. So, Lord, help us do that. Help us choose option B. So easy to get sucked into the rat race and live like everyone else. We want different. We want better. We want to follow you. We want to live with you. We want to know your presence with us every day. So help us choose to live like you so that we can live more like you and be like you. Come to us, Lord, and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.